Welcome to Grace Community Church. If this is your first time here, we extend to you a special welcome. My name is Brad Talley. I am the teaching elder at Grace, and I'm getting to be an old man, but you learn something new every day. I had no idea this church had as many East Carolina fans as it does. I just, I had no idea. Uh, I didn't say that all the things you learn are pleasant facts, but... But, nonetheless, well, if you are new, there are a couple things I want to mention to you. First of all, uh, right after our service, we're having a discovery lunch for you to just get a feel for Grace Community Church. Actually, there's, there will not be uh, any set program. We just want you to meet the elders of our church. We want to meet you, get to know each other, let you ask any questions that you want to about our church And we have pizza, so even if you didn't sign up for it, plan to stay if you're able to and and just fellowship with us, join with us. Also, if you're new, uh, I wanted to announce a new home group that will be starting Tuesday night, 7 o'clock at Ricky and April Lee's home. Are they, where you guys, Ricky and April, stand up, Ricky. Okay, yeah, April, three sick kids. Okay. Let's have special prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Show up at their house Tuesday night. Uh, <laughs> we like to pass on the love, you know, that we. <laughs> Actually, talk to Ricky. Maybe stand a little apart from him. Get his phone number. Text him. Make sure everything's still on for Tuesday night. Uh, it will be a good time. Progress is perhaps the most enduring myth of the modern world, and it is nowhere more deeply enshrined than America, so says Dr. Brian Lee. Now, that's not our very own Brian Lee, who is without question brilliant enough to to, to share such insight with us. There he is over there, Brian. I had to... I said, is that, is that our Brian? And then I, I read that, no, he's the pastor at Christ United Reformed Church in Washington, D.C. Unless you've got a gig on the side, that's not you. But think about that. Progress is perhaps the most enduring myth of the modern world, and it is nowhere more deeply enshrined than in America. And who would disagree with that statement? Who would disagree with the, the fact that we see progress In this land in particular, Allison Talley, last Friday morning, not this past one, but the one before that, became an American citizen. And if we go to war with Australia, she has to fight with us. So, yes, uh, we've got her on the right side now. And we don't have to worry about a fifth column here, you know. Uh, But the... um, We were just talking the other day, and I said, you know, we were just set up for this success, for innovation, for business, for for growth of wealth, all of, just think of all the things that have been invented in America, all of the, all of the uh, contributions that America, Americans have made to the world, and our government used to be anyway set up that way. Listen, brilliance rises to the top anywhere, and so People all, I'm not saying we're better than anybody else. I'm just saying we had a a great system in which it allowed innovation to come forth. Progress in America is, well, progress is almost synonymous with America, or at least in our minds anyway. uh, Who plans to get an iPhone 6 in the near future? Anybody planning to do that? (laughs) How about an Apple Watch next uh, January or February when they start selling Apple Watch? You plan to get one of those? Uh, Jack Lynchy wrote the lead article this past week for Time Magazine on the new innovations, and he was not very kind to Apple when he said, the Apple Watch is more than the internet always at your fingertips. It tracks your movements. It listens to your heartbeat. It puts your whole body online. This isn't just a new product. This is technology attempting to colonize our bodies. Close quote. Many people are connecting the Apple Watch with an acceleration of the move toward 
Singularity. You know what singularity is? It's the time, it's the notion that machine and man will become one or that machines slash computers will take over. And if you think that is the talk of science fiction, do a Google search and look at the people who are talking about it. Rhett McLaughlin of Rhett and Link, those comedians on the West Coast, was the first person to tell me about singularity. And I started looking for it, and it's everywhere amongst really smart people. And the theory is that the trajectory of technology makes the ascendancy of computers over humans inevitable. You know, our technological increases on a graph have gone like that, and now they're going like this, and it's just no stopping it. There's no retreat. And there is a small yet significant group of people who actually long for the day when humans are no longer relevant, no longer necessary. How crazy can you be to say, oh, I'm so excited. You know, one of these days, humanity will not be necessary. Humans won't be necessary. It'll just be a world of machines. In an era of such progress, then, why is there so much suffering? I mean, Time magazine, I, I, I thought about it. When, when they have this cover article on technology and where we're heading, uh, they, these are the ones who also brilliantly, some 17 years ago, just a couple of years before I moved here, had the article or had the headlines, Men and Women Are Different. I thought, wow, with such brilliance, I mean, you know. Uh, and then there was another one that I had in my mind just now. It was just as crazy, you know. It's just like you're stating the obvious. But, oh, I, I know what it was. When Linda had a brain tumor, she said, they said, cancer has been defeated. Could have fooled some of you. So, with such progress, why is there so much suffering? Because progress is truly a myth. Will computers take over? No. Not if you believe Scripture. Will life look a great deal differently than it does 25 years from now than it does right now? No doubt in ways that we could have never imagined. And they are doing phenomenal work with genetics and cancer. And, and maybe indeed we get to a much better place in a much shorter time than we think. Or maybe our technology is a modern day tower of Babel and God is going to confuse our code and tear it all down. And we'll start over. Os Guinness, this past year, I told you earlier in the year, some of you who were here, thinks that we are just on the cusp of a new dark age. And there are so many reasons to think that it could be true. We're at an Augustinian moment, and our hearts need to be prepared as we go into that. But that's not the focus of the message today. The focus is we need to be prepared for suffering. Because no matter what happens in the next 25 years, the theme will be the same as it's always been. Suffering for mankind. Some have said that music is a universal language. Is the universal language. I, I think perhaps it's more accurate to say that lament is the universal language. Not everybody sings songs of joy and praise and happiness. Everyone, though, at some point sings songs of lament unless life is very, very short. This past week, what a, what a blessing it was to be in Boone. We went straight from Allison's... Um, citizenship ceremony to the mountains and I spoke on Friday night and Saturday night to the college group that Michael leads at Alliance Bible Fellowship in Boone and then Sunday night was privileged to preach the charge to Michael's for for Michael's ordination and my son Michael and um, I, I, I told the students that weekend, 
We need your passion. I was talking about Scripture and about all the different ways my un- how my understanding of Scripture is, has grown. And I said, you know, I can quote Scripture all over the place. I can. I could, if I wanted to, I could just stand up here and quote Scripture from my messages. But that's not good preaching. It's really not. But you know what? Students, college students particularly, I learned 90% of those verses when I was your age. When I was really passionate about the future. And we cannot do without your passion. I am thrilled with the average age of our church. We can't do without your passion. But you can't do without our wisdom. You can't have it at 20 or 21. And frankly... The evangelical world has been driven by 30-somethings for about 10 years. And there's danger in that. When I say you can't do without our wisdom, listen, I am incredibly capable, capable of doing stupid things. You know? That's one of the ways you get wisdom, right? You know? You, you do stupid things. And... And I'm fallen, and we're all, all those who are older are fallen, and they're not in touch, and they can't use the same language. Look, we're still on Facebook. You know, you guys left that a long time ago. It's, it's the domain of old people now. And grand pictures of grandkids, you know. That's what's on Facebook. But the wisdom that we have, and one of the reasons that we have it is because of suffering. If suffering comes to everyone, then how are we to respond? I mean, are we to be like the Stoics and muster our strength and, 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 and face life with a stiff upper lip, as the Brits would say? Should we be fatalistic and accept the inevitable? That's what a lot of people around the world do. They don't have it so good. Our pain is intensified by how good that everyone else has it around us and how good we used to have it. Should we insulate ourselves from risk to avoid as much pain as possible, never allowing ourselves to love again because we were hurt so badly the first time? I just want to protect myself. The Bible addresses all manner of suffering, suffering caused by our sin, suffering that comes as a result of the fall, the, the, the righteous suffering at the hands of the unjust, um, suffering caused when God allows Satan to have at us, physical suffering, relational, economic, political. When are we done with suffering? Never. There's suffering of all kinds. Here's the primary question again. How Can we deal with suffering? How are we going to deal with it? Today we begin a 10-week series in the book of Job. At least 10, but honestly, I think it's going to be wrapped up in 10. We're not going to be in Job today, though. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And I am just as eager as you are to get to the book of Job. I'm telling you that I've, I seriously thought about scrapping this idea of going with Romans because there's so much that I want to say about Job. But I think you'll see why we begin today in Romans 8. After the cross of Christ and after the Holy Spirit has given us great insight into Scripture about the place and the role of suffering in our lives, And where suffering ends, because it's going to end. And not in the ways that most people say, yeah, well, suffering will be done when I'm dead, you know, when I die. That's true. But when you die, you're really just beginning to live if you know Jesus. That's it. In Romans 8, not only will we gain a good perspective for suffering, but we will be pointing to significant help in our struggles. And in the, in the same way that, that suffering, when we go through a particular time of suffering in our lives, in the same way that, that that's like a snapshot and it's really not the whole picture. It's just a snapshot along the way. So it is with this series. If you miss part of this series, you're just getting snapshots. You're not getting 
the whole picture. Today is going to be very much like seeing the whole puzzle put together. And then next Sunday we're going to tear it all apart and start putting the pieces back together. But even as we put the picture completely back together, it's going to have lines and curves and all the limitations of cardboard. A puzzle can only do so much in presenting the full picture. One day when we step into the beautiful new heavens and new earth, we're going to recognize that our understanding was nothing close to the reality that God has prepared for us. Today we're going to begin with that that end in mind. So let's get to Romans chapter 8. 18 to 30, where we will see purpose to our suffering that Job couldn't have imagined. Job imagined suffering that most of us can't. We have purpose for suffering that Job couldn't have known about. So would you please stand for the reading of God's Word, Romans 8, 18 through 30, and I will be reading from the English Standard Version. For I consider, I've weighed up. I've thought about it carefully, and I have come to this settled conclusion, is what Paul is saying. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That's a very graphic picture for you ladies, isn't it? Not, not so much so for the men, but we get the idea. Imagine this. Creation has groaned in the groanings of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have, been, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Our Father... We cannot even begin to imagine what glory in us looks like. We speak of your glory all the time. But the beautiful blessing that most of us never, we seldom think about and almost never fully appreciate the fact that you are glorifying yourself and us and you will bring us into glory. And we will be part of the glorious new heavens and new earth. Lord, it feels like anything but that for a lot of people today. And so I pray that 
today as we consider hope in these next many weeks when we walk through a dark valley with our brother Job. We pray that we would find encouragement. Encouragement in the word, strength in the word who points us to the word. The man of sorrows, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. The gospel is the central message of Scripture. If you don't believe that, you probably don't believe the gospel. I often say that all of Scripture is the gospel. Now, to give a a further explanation, all of Scripture is either law or gospel. Either we're living according to the law or we're living in the hope That Jesus Christ died for us. We're living trying to be as good as we can so that God will accept us. Or we recognize that we're all lawbreakers. And that none of us is good enough, will ever be good enough to stand before God in our current state, in our sin. But God, loving us the way that he did, sent Jesus to die for us. And in our trust of what he did for us, we are declared righteous, even though we're far from it. Apart from Jesus, we have no hope. In Jesus, we have all hope. As Ian Duguid points out, to assume that the gospel is the central message of Scripture is to understand that the Old Testament was never intended to exist by itself. And that's the point. It's gospel all the way through. It's law. You can't keep it. It's gospel. God has made a way. You just need to trust him. You need to believe him. Peter tells us that the writers of the Old Testament knew that there was something more. Something was missing. And they longed to know what it was. God, what is it that I'm not getting? And you know what they heard from the heavens? Same thing Job heard. Silence. God didn't tell them. In some senses, they were pieces in God's glorious puzzle, although it didn't seem very glorious to them, to many of them at the times in which they were writing, especially the prophets. Difficult times for most of those men. We see so much more of the picture than the Old Testament saints saw, but you know what what is true of the Old Testament saints that were declared righteous? They trusted God enough. They just let him be God. They wanted to know. God said no, and they said, it's okay. I will proclaim this message, though no one believes it, because that's what you've called me to, Isaiah said. Even if no one believes it, God said, I want you to preach this. And he did faithfully. And he had struggles. And he said, I'm not doing this anymore. And Jeremiah said, I'm so tired. It was Jeremiah who said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm so tired. But both Isaiah and Jeremiah and many of the prophets just couldn't make sense of it. It was difficult, but they let God be God. To our great benefit, we understand so much more than they did, so much more than Job understands. One of the greatest blessings of a relationship with Christ is the blessing of hope. And it's not the hope that one day computers are going to solve all of our problems. When Linda first was diagnosed with a brain tumor, my thought was, okay, let's just do what we need to do and keep her alive long enough for them to figure it out. How naive that was. And yet, it's not going to seem, not, seem naive at all when all of a sudden they, they correct it. But that's not our hope. When I was preaching Michael's ordination last week, and Allison and I were just so blessed over the entire weekend. What a beautiful, very full weekend it was. We didn't stop for a second the entire time. But... I was thinking about, you know, and I, I, I mentioned, I said, do you suppose Linda is looking down from heaven so proud of her son? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what that's like. You know what? Good chance she's pretty distracted with Jesus. 
She would have been so proud if she were alive. But you know what? She's got better things than her family to think about right now. Do you really believe that? I do. Now, God may allow that for her to see, you know, and be, and that completes her joy. But if he doesn't, it's all right. Because we know that what awaits us, we can't compare it now. Now, what he says in verse 18, it's just no way to compare it. All this progress we have made extends our lives, that's for sure. Um, Several of you have endured the torture of chemotherapy in the last few years. And without it, you probably wouldn't be here. That is progress, but it is in the end only delaying the inevitable, isn't it? I mean, aren't we all going to be there and somebody preaching and saying you better make the most of it now? You better look to, to the Lord because one day it all ends. If our hope is in this world, not only is it a temporary hope, it is wildly misplaced because life goes on after the grave. Our hope is in the future. And there is so much in Scripture that cheers our hearts and gives us hope for the present. But biblical comfort for the present. But biblical hope is that one day we will be delivered of 100% of this suffering. And we'll have new bodies. We're waiting for the redemption of the body. And we'll be with Jesus. And there'll be no more sin. No more mistakes that we just... We walk away saying, oh, why did I say that? Oh, why did I do that? Or I can't believe I can't get victory over this sin. Or, But it's not only us, it's all creation. When Adam fell, creation fell with him. Hurricanes, floods, drought, and lightning strikes joined disease and bereaved parents and depression and divorced men and women in an agony that is at times almost unbearable. (sighs) Futility. Paul calls it. God says. Futility. Futility can range from the driver in front of you texting through a left turn cycle to a doctor making a mistake that turns a routine surgery into the tragic, unnecessary loss of a loved one, or a drunk driver leaving you paralyzed. Who did this to us? Who is responsible for this misery? Look, I'm going to talk in a few weeks. I just I want to say everything today, and I can't do it, you know. You're going to feel like it when you see a clock at the end. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about the witch hunt mentality that is in America right now, where there is so little room for redemption. A lot of bad stuff is happening, absolutely. But why don't we just go ahead and crucify him right now? And if and and God help you when somebody points at you and says witch to the stakes. You've been saying it for, for months, years. Gotta stop. We'll get there. So who's responsible for all this futility? Is it Satan? I mean, Satan has a, has a big rule, role in our misery, as we're going to see in Job. But few of us would deny that we are at times, maybe even more often than not, responsible for our own misery. You know, I, I, I brought this on myself. Even so, who subjected this world to futility? I'm not sure you're going to like the answer. It's the same one who gives hope in response to the futility he brought upon the world. Satan has no 
power to give genuine hope. God is the only one who can give hope, and the one who gives hope in Romans 8 is the one who subjects the creation to futility. This in no way assigns blame to God for the misery in this world. It's a response to our sin. It's the consequence of our sin. God must punish sin. Thank God for Jesus as we will see over and over. Taking that punishment for us. In our text, God encourages us in the midst of all this suffering. He encourages us in three different ways. Even as we're told the very creation groans in agony. The first word of encouragement is the promise of glory. The promise of we're glorified. We will be glorified. There are, there are a lot of verses in Scripture that I can't make any sense of. John 17, where Jesus says, just as you and I are one, make them one with us. In the same way, what does he mean by that? What does Peter mean when he says, we have been made partakers of the divine nature? What does that mean? And certainly not that we're divine. But he brings us into a communion that is unbelievable. And the glory that will be revealed in us is something most of us just kind of, we don't think about. It's an encouragement. And it's not, yes, way to the game next year. You know, we'll get you next year. It's not that. It's not, I'll be on top. We're going to be glorified with Jesus Over and over, we're called joint heirs with him. He's the firstborn among many brothers, as we're told in our text today. Glory may be the last thing you feel at the moment, but one day you will see God's design for you is beyond your wildest hopes, imagination, or dreams. That's why we're beginning this series on Job with the end in mind. Whatever you're suffering... It will be worth it. God promised. Are you having trouble believing that? Well, go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. I've been praying for X number of years, and I've been, people have told me if you'll just have faith, God will do this, God will do that. I don't know how to pray, and if I'm honest, I'm not even sure that God is listening. Our text is going to address your doubts in just a moment. Then and only then, as we pray and find encouragement in prayer, do we begin to believe that all things work together for good for God's covenant family. For now... Creation groans. But we have hope. And our hope is in the redemption of our bodies. That will be a grand day, won't it? I mean, for the time being, though, we have the Holy Spirit, God's guaranteed deposit of good things to come. He cannot withdraw that earnest of the Spirit, as the old language says in Ephesians 1, he's given us, when the Spirit is given to us, it is a non-refundable down payment. It is a promise that we are going to have the blessings that the Spirit enjoys in heaven forever. Are we going to have that better day in this life? Maybe, maybe not. But if this life is all that matters, we ought not to be here. We ought to be doing something else with our time. But we are here because this world brings us to such desperation that we're drawn to the place where we find hope. Remember, Scripture, the Spirit, don't work apart from each other. The Spirit always works in accordance to the Scripture. The Scripture never tells us anything that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's the author inseparable so go to the word stay in the word and one of the ways that you do it is coming here and getting in home groups where you can talk with one another about the deepest sorrows of your heart some of you won't though you can't i know you can't 
That's one of the things that makes it difficult. Some of the, some of the struggles, some of the pain is so private. that You just don't feel like you can share it. It's a mistake to keep it entirely to yourself. You need to have trust in someone you can talk to. By the way, we've got a wonderful group of elders. We have some wonderful home group leaders. They're not going to... We're all fallen, but I don't anticipate in any way that they are going to abuse your trust and take what you say and talk to other people about it. But you need to talk to somebody. I can't be... Look... Just in this study alone, I, there's so much reading that I have to do. I, you've noticed maybe I don't, I don't respond to the prayer request on the city. I don't wish people happy birthdays anymore. Happy birthday, Kathleen McKinney, by the way. Where are you? Is Kathleen here? 89? Is that? How old, Kathleen? 89. Praise the Lord. But I don't, because, you know, as sure as the world, I'll miss somebody, and then I'll really be in trouble, and I'll be like Job, you know, <laughs> in trouble. But talk to somebody. You don't have to wait to talk to someone, though. You can go to the Lord at any time. We're here because we need hope and the difficulties of life and the futureness of the promises that God guarantees will end, be the end of our suffering. But it's still there and we need help right now. If we were already with Jesus, we wouldn't need hope. But we're not. Thus, we need hope. And it's strengthened by the word. It's strengthened by others. We're, we're in a place where this life can seem so hopeless. What should we do besides dream that life is going to be better after we die? Well, take courage and comfort in the promised aid that the Holy Spirit gives us in prayer. And in verses 26 and 27, these verses mean so much more than you likely are aware of unless you've really gotten down deep into the study. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts, that's the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God or the will of the Father. So what, what, what all are we being told about prayer here? First, because of the groaning of creation and because of intense suffering at times, we don't really know how to pray. Now, we do pray, and it sounds it's pretty desperate. Help! Help! It's a natural response to pain and to suffering. Help me, God! I'm sure that some of you are tempted to think, even if you don't, Ever allow it, these words to come out of your lips or to even to play with it in your mind. It's always right along that threshold of consciousness where you think that God is in heaven and he's either snickering or sneering at you or maybe he's just distracted. Whatever it is, he doesn't care. He's not answering your prayer. Maybe you're getting what you deserve. Maybe he's just playing with you like a cat plays with a mouse. But nothing could be further from the truth. When we come to the Lord, the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and translates them to us <coughs> for the Father. A, a little <clears throat> later in this chapter, we're going to be told <clears throat> that the Son, Jesus, is interceding for us now we are told that the Spirit is interceding for us. He's going to God on our half. But since we don't always get our prayers right according to the will of God, the Spirit does that work for us. When, when, when we 
We pray, Lord, heal me. The Spirit says, Lord, what she means is to give her grace and for her to glorify you in this time and and heal her relationships with family members. The Father says, I'm with you, Spirit. I will I'll regret that request. Now, that may not be all that comforting to you, but truly, truly, if you've staked as much as you have on this being true, and you have, I know uh, many, many, many of you have, if you've staked that much on it, do you really want your will to prevail over God's will? No, you don't. You want God's will to be done. And at times you're going to be angry with God. You're going to be so disappointed, which is really funny when you think about it. I'm disappointed with God. But I know you want God's will. We're told that the Spirit groans before the Father. Even though we don't know how we should pray, we understand groaning. It feels like we're the ones doing the groaning here. But it's the Spirit, and it's not just some sort of God language that He's talking about. I mean, you get, you get this picture of the Spirit groaning. Are you brokenhearted? The Holy Spirit's heart is broken with yours, and His translation of your prayer to the Father is given with the most tender care imaginable. You know certain people that say, well, okay, it's a tough time, but you just got to suck it up. People say that thinking that they're doing you a favor. I know that. The Spirit is in agony as He prays to the Lord. If you're suffering, you're going to be met by the entire Trinity when you pray. You will live according to the Father's good and divine plan. You will walk... And be comforted by the divine helper, the Holy Spirit. And you will walk in communion with the man of sorrows. God is working all of these things together for your good. You know that, right? Romans 8.28 says so. But let me say, just give a word of caution about Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. I can't tell you how many times I've I've heard people say that, and then they'll say, amen? Amen? Is that right? You believe that? Okay, then we're good. You just go on back to your treatment. You know, go on back to grieving over the loss of someone who meant more than life to you almost. Can I encourage you to use these words very carefully? Proverbs says that the one who sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes away a coat in the winter. And when you just throw out Romans 8.28 carelessly, God works all things together, brother. It's going to be good. Hang in there. I know your heart is good on that. But, But ask yourself this question. Have I earned the right to use this verse with somebody? Otherwise, you're throwing it out. And if you say, how do I know? How can I know if I have suffered enough that I am now qualified to use this verse, qualified as a bearer of encouragement to others using this verse? If you have to ask that question, just wait a little while, okay? You'll know, and you won't be throwing at anybody. You'll be coming along, putting an arm and saying, I know where, you're, where you are. It's not the same suffering, but I've had suffering at a deep level. And I wanted you to know that I found great encouragement in this. And I know it, it doesn't feel like all things are working together, but God is doing a beautiful thing in your life. God's plan is to make you like Jesus. I'm sorry to tell you what you already know, but you cannot be like Jesus until you suffer. It's good that you have devotions and it's good that you pray and that you share the gospel with other people. But until you learn to trust God when it makes absolutely no sense in this world to do it, even though you, well, because you recognize that God 
is the one who can remove your pain if you want to. And it makes no sense to trust him. Until you trust him in that place, then your conformity to the image of Christ is incomplete. It is, in fact, the cross, at the cross, that our suffering begins to allow the purpose, God's purpose in our lives to take shape and form in our hearts and minds. Suffering is a part of God's design for His children. And unfortunately, it is impossible for any of us to always respond in a spiritual and trusting manner and with that kind of heart. Our nature is desperate for control and suffering by definition takes our ability to manage our lives out of play at some level anyway. But God is working for our good and for His glory. The end of Romans 8 reminds us that no matter what happens, God is for us. Look, if you're feeling it, you may as well say it. It took me almost 40 years to say, God, what is, what, what is up with this? Why are you doing this to me? I mean, I knew better, but I'd been trying to... I've heard people say that the, that the story of Job is God's big enough to handle your questions. And, and that's true. Psalms tell us that. We're the only religion where the writers of the religion complain to their God. God's big enough to handle that. I don't know. I'd, I'd say maybe the lesson of Job is more along the lines of should have kept your mouth shut, you know. <laughs> but we, we're going to see there's just so much, so much beauty and symmetry. It, there's such symmetry in Scripture. And you're just going to see the way all of this works together. I, I'm so excited I can't stand it except for the fact that it worries me that I'm preaching on Job, you know, because I'm thinking, like, what's up for you, Brad? I always get tested, and I've been in that place. I know some of you are in that place right now, and I'm not sitting in your seat at the moment. I've sat there or somewhere close, and, and, and I remember what it feels like. And by the way, let me just say this principle. This is just an observation on my part. This is not a biblical principle. But if you're thinking, oh boy, we're preaching on Job. What's the Lord trying to prepare me for? Most likely he's not preparing you for anything. Job says, that which I greatly feared has come upon me. And that's true that we're going to face things that we thought we're going to have. We're, we're scared and people said, oh, don't be such a worry ward. And then they happen and we're secretly glad to say, see, see, I told you I was going to have this. Look. More often than not, haven't you found that when you worry about something, oftentimes it doesn't come. But when you go through a real deep valley, you look back and you see how God was preparing you all along. You didn't know he was, but that's how he prepares us. And so the end of Romans 8 reminds us that no matter what happens in our lives, God is for us. He will never leave us. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God through Jesus. Take comfort in God's word. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously Give us all things. So there it is. Suffering in view of the cross, which is the subtitle of this series. When you suffer and you say, God, how could you? Go to Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son. (laughs) Because you think... This life is hell. It's not. Jesus endured your hell on the cross. If you believe him, you have this hope that is glory beyond. And you say, why am I going through so much when others have so little trouble? First of all, you don't know their troubles. Secondly, it's nothing. It's nothing 
compared to Jesus. Response to our questions about suffering in the cross. One of the great difficulties of suffering is a sense of condemnation. The sense that we just don't measure up. And maybe I deserve this. Romans 8 answers that as well. I want us to read these last nine verses corporately. Let's just read them together. Would you stand and let's read beginning in Romans 8, 31. I hope we can do this together well. Let's say it. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of God, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Next week, we're going to begin to walk with Job as he faces one catastrophe after another. And that's the way it comes, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's like it would be one thing if this is what I had to deal with, but it's just piled on top of piles that already exist. I want to share our theme verse for this series also from the New Testament. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Brad, for your message this morning, the gospel, we need it every day. Thank you, David, for leading us to a heart of worship. My name is Lee Williford. It's my pleasure to serve you as an elder here at Grace and uh, to deliver the benediction this morning. From Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week.